Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Hello, this is Truth Pod, my weekly podcast. But really, if you listen to me for some time, you know that. I'm just trying a different uh, opening to greet you. I hope that you're well, and I'm serious when I tell you that if you are being overwhelmed by the enemy of our soul, I'd love to hear from you. You don't have to go into detail if you don't want to. I want to come along beside you and pray and give you added support and encouragement. Just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com. Don't worry if you struggle with something. What I mean by that is the enemy loves to isolate us and make us feel like we are the only ones who have a problem, that we are not lovable, and that no one cares. All of those things are lies to keep you isolated from other believers, and so you won't find encouragement. So join someone. Find someone. Um, you know, get go alongside a brother or sister. Pray for them. Uh, care about them. Inquire, you know, into their lives. Don't be afraid to ask, you know, how are you doing? You know, uh, I, sometimes we're afraid of that because we ask it, and they'll tell us, you know, and we really didn't want to hear a whole spiel. We were just making conversation. So how about we not make conversation and actually, you know, care about, hey, what's going on? How can I pray for you? You know, and it'll go a long ways in building relationships in, in your lives. So if you can, join me in prayer, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the uh, privilege of doing a podcast called Truth Pod, and I pray that you would use it for your glory. Thank you for my listeners. Uh, thank you for my, my wife who uploads this for me each week, puts it together. Thank you for her. Father, I, I pray that you would just use me as your servant right now in this study. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to be plain, you know, and that I am understandable. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I started a new series called The Best News Ever. And if you've never heard it before, once you do, you will understand why I call it that. But most have heard it before. And if you met him, you know it as well, why it's the best news ever. <coughs> the only ones who don't know are the ones who have never met him. I talked last week about what the disciples must have felt like in those three days after the crucifixion. A lot of what I said was speculation, of course. It really was. I admitted that. It was imagination and that, you know. And um, no one knows for sure what went on in those three days. I tried to put a, try to put us in their shoes to show what they or that they weren't much different from you and I. What took place at Calvary is now in the rearview mirror. Because time doesn't stop. We are forced to move on one day at a time. It gives little comfort because they are still without Jesus. He's dead and he's buried. Let's turn to scripture. John 20 verses 1 through 20. Now on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday. Okay, just so you know. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to a tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
the first day of the week. You and I commonly call Monday the first day of the week, right? Saturday and Sundays are weekend for us, and it starts early in our lives. Monday morning meant the first day of our school week. Most of us, most of our weeks as adults begin on Monday. As we start a new work week, I do. I work Monday through Friday, you know, and have Saturdays and Sundays off. Now, I know and, uh, there are many people who work uh, on Saturday and um, on Sunday, too. So, but for the majority, I would assume that, it, you know, Monday is that first day of the week. For the Jews, Sunday was considered the first day of the week. The Sabbath being the day God rested. Exodus 20, verses 8 and 9 and 11 says this remember the sabbath to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work for in six days the lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath sabbath day and made it holy so three days ago jesus was crucified he hung on the cross for six hours and then he breathed his last breath and died all the hopes and dreams that were based on him by those who loved him died with him when he died. James, James and John saw him or saw themselves seated at the right hand of, uh, of, the, of him, you know, at Jesus. And they wanted to uh, make a request and had their mother make it for them. Matthew 20, 21 says this, and he said to her, speaking to uh, James and John's mother, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine who are, are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. You know, so this is how they saw things going for their future. They had seen how the multitude gathered around him to make him king. So they wanted to make sure they were seated by him. And John 16, or John chapter 6, verse 15, English Standard Version says this, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Why couldn't Jesus see it the way they did? Our dreams aren't always God's dreams. We often settle for the good instead of waiting for the best. You know, God doesn't always see it our way, and uh, that gets us, that irks us. You know, we can't understand it. We fight it. We wrestle with it. We, uh, you know, we even rebel against it, you know, but God knows the best way. We sometimes just, we think it's the best, but it's only the good way, but God has a better way. But there lies was, uh, but there was someone else who had dreams also with the uh, also with Jesus uh, besides the disciples that seemed to vanish away uh, that day and her name was Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala for that was where she was from Magdala is a city in Galilee located in the northernmost region of ancient Palestine now northern Israel there's a lot of information about or there's not I should say a lot of information about her and anything to her apart from Scripture would be mere speculation. Here's a passage of Scripture that tells us a little bit about her life before Jesus. Luke 8 and 2 says this in the English Standard Version, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, Mag Mary called Magdalene, 
from whom seven demons had gone out. Wow, can you can you imagine that? No, we can't, right? I got this quote from Barnes' notes on the Bible, and I quote, Seven devils, or demons. The word seven is often used for an indefinite number, and may signify merely many demons. The expression is used to signify that she was grievously tormented and rendered, doubtless, insane by the power of evil spirits. It has been commonly supposed that Mary Magdalene was a woman of abandoned character, but of this there is not the least evidence. All that we know of her is that she was formerly grievously afflicted by the presence of evil spirits, that she was perfectly cured by Jesus, and that afterwards she became one of his most faithful and humble followers. Unquote. She watched him die. Matthew 27, 55 through 56 says this in the English Standard Version. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and Mary the sons of Zebedee. Now don't run ahead of our text. She saw him nailed to a cross. No doubt she was there when they took him took his limp body down from the cross because she saw where they laid him in Mark 15:47. Mary came to the tomb early in our text that I read just a few minutes ago, came to the tomb early. Visiting the grave of a loved one honors the memory of that person. It is a way of showing that this life had significance on earth that is not forgotten. Some people view the entire process as spiritual, being on hallowed ground is a source of comfort and peace, a place where contemplation and prayer seem so natural. Whenever I travel home to Kentucky, I try to visit the grave of my parents and three siblings. Um, two I never knew. I don't look at it as a spiritual visit at all, but rather to show they haven't been forgotten. If you visit a gravesite or not, there is no right or wrong here. It's completely left up to the individual, so don't let anyone condemn you either way. If you don't visit the site, you know, there's no reason to feel bad about that. And if you do, there's no reason to feel bad about it. John records Mary's trip to the tomb in um, verse 1. This is not an exhaustive picture of the event. It is just a snapshot, you know. It's just it's a snapshot of what took place. But why did she come to the tomb early? Well, the Bible tells us why. Mark 16 and 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Even the women who came early to the tomb did not expect to see him alive. In fact, they had purchased spices to complete the anointing that Joseph and Nicodemus had so hastily begun. They had come to finish you know, the burial process. We cannot blame uh, those women. Death is final, right? Every person that I have known to die is still dead. You know, so we can't blame them for preparing spices. We're going to go and anoint his body and, you know, finish the burial process. We have to understand their behavior in the same way, you know, as ours would be. We, we go to finish the process, and he died on a cross. We've seen him, you know, die, and, you know, he's dead. 
and we have to accept that as being final. These are just ordinary people that we are talking about here, and I, I really, really like to drive that home to people because they are not uh, angelic beings. They are not supernatural beings. They are regular human beings, just like you and I, who are filled with the same trappings and uh, amusements that you and I are filled with, okay? They have loves. They have hurts. They have uh, good times, bad times, you know, sunny days, rainy days, just like you and I, just like you and I, you know? And so um, these women are just acting like you and I would do. Uh, if we were in their shoes, and um, and it was up incumbent upon us to you know finish this process. Scripture does not tell us uh, why Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea did not come back after the Sabbath and finish the burial process. You know maybe they had business to attend to. Uh, they might have been gone for a while. You know from their business and had to get back to it. You know, nothing, nothing is said. Uh, but Or maybe these ladies just beat them to it. Who knows? Did they even think about who was going to move the stone for them? Remember when he was buried, they had placed a great stone against the, the opening of the tomb. And that was a common thing in those days is to put a stone against an open tomb like that. Uh, so that animals couldn't get in and, and steal the body, or um, thieves couldn't get in and, and you know, steal things, uh, whatever, rob the grave, whatever it may be. Uh, in Mark 16, 3 and 4, it says this, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from us, or for us, from the entrance of the tomb? You know, the stone was very large, so these ladies that were going, Mary Magdalene and, you know, and some other ladies who had went with her, uh, they weren't going to roll the stone away. And uh, it says there the stone had been taken away when they got there. This had to be a uh, peculiar sight, strange sight. You know, it would be like going to the cemetery to visit a loved one, you know, to visit a loved one's grave only to find it had been dug up. Whoa, that would be shocking, wouldn't it? I, I've haven't, I haven't visited um, any cemetery yet of my loved ones that have passed away in any of the graves being dug up, and I'm thankful for that. All right, first thing you would do, right? Freak out. Second thing, after you'd you'd settle down, pull out your cell phone and call the police, right? I mean, hey, the grave has been dug up. The stone has been rolled away. I got this. Uh, I got this from thinkingtobelieve.com, and I quote: "The entrance of a Jewish tomb was uh, was quite small, so the stone needed to cover the opening. Uh, so the stone needed to cover the opening would only be four to six feet in diameter and approximately one foot thick. How much uh, such a stone weighed would depend on the type of stone used. It could weigh between one and two tons." 2,000, 4,000 pounds. This is quite heavy, but two men could move it into place. Moving it out of place would be more difficult. The more difficult task, you know, again, removing the stone, um, and unquote. Generally speaking, the rolling stone was set inside a groove in front of the entrance and secured from falling over the 
over by a stone wall that was stood in front of the tomb, or the tomb opening. The rolling stone was sandwiched between the tomb entrance and the stone wall was, well, stone wall is a picture is below it. Yeah, often the groove was not level, but slightly sloped. To close the tomb, the stone would be rolled down the groove at a decline and come to rest in front of the entrance. To open the tomb, the stone would have to be rolled up the groove at an incline, and unquote. So she ran, and she ran to Peter and John. Um, you know, I, I couldn't resist. I I couldn't resist leaving it at that for a second. I would I would have ran too, right? I mean, uh, here she is. She's come up to this this stone or this tomb, and she's expecting to see the stone there. Okay. This is at the end of the of the three days. Okay, so that's done. The soldiers, you know, are gone, uh, and they would have completed their duties. And here she finds that the stone had run away, or the stone had been run. The stone had been moved, and uh, and so the first thing she does is run. Yeah, you could see the spices drop from her hand, right? If you just picture it, you can see the spices drop from her hand and she's running to Peter and John. Someone has stolen the body and partly out of anger, you know, you would think, uh, why, why can't they leave him alone? You know, haven't they done enough to him? You know, can you just feel that anger or uh, disgust, you know, because someone has defiled, um, his body or his his tomb, his grave. But no, she runs to Peter and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This was something they needed to know about. This from this I got from a McLaren exposition, and I quote: "The impulse to tell the leaders of the forlorn of the forlorn band the news, which she thinks to be bad, was womanly and natural. It was not hope, but wonder and sorrow." that quickened her steps as she ran through the still morning to find them. Whether they were in one house or not is uncertain, but at all events, Peter's denial had not cut him off from his brethren, and the two who were so constantly associated before and afterwards were not far apart that morning. The disciple who had stood by the cross to almost the last had an open heart and probably an open house for the denier. Restore such in one considering yourself, unquote. She says to him, they have taken the Lord. When, when, um, when she said they have taken him, she was not referring to friends or family. She thought the religious leaders had come and stolen him away. You know, spite, you know, going on. If she were referring to friends or family, she would simply ask, where have they placed him? But she comes to them with an, an, alarm, an alarming cry. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. You know, they've stolen his body. They, they've, uh, they've taken him away, and we don't know where he is. What are we going to do? You can just, she's probably excited. You know, there's uh, an excitement going on in her voice, and, you know, and uh, you usually to say to somebody at this time, calm down. Calm down, breathe a little bit here, and tell me what happened. 
That's what you say to somebody. But she's all, you know, all excited at the moment. They've stolen him. He's gone. There's probably tears running down her eyes. And and uh, she's just worried. And, you know, so this is probably what's happening. They, the religious leaders, certainly would not have taken the body. Okay. The last thing they wanted was anyone to believe that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. The tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers and the stone sealed by an official Roman seal. So there was no way for the disciples to seal his body. Furthermore, his disciples did not believe that he was to be raised from the dead. It was his enemies who remembered his words. Matthew 27, 62 and 66. In times of grief or great pain, we lose our focus. We forget who is in control. We often imagine the worst possible scenario. We replace peace with fear, faith with doubt. It's unfair of us to judge these people harshly when we are as guilty as they are. Yeah, let a bill come due. You know, let a bill show up. Let a let a letter show up in the mail or even get an email or something. Um, and it's, you know, a little confusing, uh, a little alarming. And then we fall apart. You know, we fall apart. We forget, you know, who's in control. We, we think it's the end of the world or, or whatever it might be. Or how in the world are we going to deal with this? God's not so easily shaken, my friend. God isn't so easily shaken. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. Mary must have seemed out of her mind. She must have seemed like she'd gone crazy when she came running to the disciples with the news they have taken his body. Um, would these religious uh, leaders risk defilement by touching a dead body? You know, before, uh, or, um, you know, would they, touching a dead body would mean they'd have to be unclean for several days. Okay, and then they, you know, they weren't allowed to go into the camp. More than likely, they would hire someone else to do the dirty work. So um, Mary has looked like she's lost her mind approaching the disciples with this news of what has taken place, you know. And uh, the disciples, they, they're bewildered. They, you know, they have no idea because, see, you know, they're still... In their grief, three days later, they're still in their grief. They're still moping. They're still not knowing what they're going to do. And uh, all of a sudden, something's starting to to shake, you know, to change. And if you hadn't read the story uh, before, if you hadn't read about these events before, you would know something's about to happen. Something is about to take place. And this is more than just a coincidence that these events are taking place. Mary has come to the disciples. It's almost like she's there for a reason, to, to um, light a fire under them, if you know what I mean, to spark, re-spark, reignite that spark in their lives of, of uh, more than just you know, living in the now, more than just living uh, for the moment. Um, how, how else can I put this? She's there to um, help them to see beyond themselves, okay? Beyond the hurt, 
beyond the the bruising they feel inside, the brokenness, the uh, disappointments they feel. Beyond, she's she's there, and 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 it's not, you know, it, it's not her per se, her plan, but it's God's plan. God has set this all in motion. She's going back, and you know, and she's uh, speaking to them, and all of a sudden things are about to, you know, take a turn. And there's about to be a great change to take place in her, in them, and uh, you know, and you could just sense it coming. Let me say this in, in closing. You know, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know if you're a believer. If you're listening, I don't know if you're a believer or you're, you know, if you're not a believer. I, I don't know that. I don't I'm not privy to that. But where are, wherever you are in your life, God wants to meet you right there. He's not expecting you to break out of your chains. He's not expecting you to open the prison doors. He's not expecting you to do those things. He's going to do those things for you. Okay? Jesus said this in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, uh, I think it's chapter 3 somewhere in, in that chapter he says behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone would hear my voice and open that door see the door the door the opener to the door is on the inside he won't force his way in but if you want him if you've been wanting change to take place in your life if you're tired of the way you've been going if you're sick of of the mess you're in. All you have to do is go to that door and say, Jesus, I'm opening this door for you. I've heard you knocking. Now I'm inviting you in. He'll come in and he will break the chains. He will change the life that, that you're in. He will, he will deal with your mess He'll deal with it. You don't have to clean it up. He'll clean you up. You know, he'll clean you up. When that when that little sheep falls into the pit, gets in, gets itself all muddy, or gets those burrs all over its uh, all over its um, hide, whatever you call that with sheep, uh, all over its fur. There we go. And um, when it gets its gets burrs all over it and it's stuck in there, he don't expect that sheep to clean itself up. He will carefully take that sheep and he will pick off those burrs. Careful not to hurt the little sheep. My friend, that's you. That's you. Right now, you might be dealing with a big mess in your life and have no idea how to deal with it. Well, go to the shepherd. Go to the shepherd. Go to Jesus and let him take the burrs off. Let him clean up your mess. If you'll listen, if you'll listen, he will clean it up, clean up your life and change you. The problem is we we think, oh yeah, I'm listening, but then you were doing things our way. You know, I've tried to help people and I tell them, hey, you know, get in church, get in the word and pray, you know, and I don't see them in church. And then they're wondering, why can't my life go back together? Because they're missing the, the important ingredients that's involved. 
you know, because they're not following the instructions, you know, and Jesus wants to come in and clean your life up and you've got to do the inviting. You've got to open the door. He loves you. He cares about each and every one that's listening to that's listening to him and those who don't. That's the amazing thing about it. He 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 loves those who don't even care about him and he's reaching out for them. I appreciate you listening to uh, Truth Pod today. I um these studies really get better as we're going on in this uh in this the best news ever because we're talking about the truth okay and how could uh this not be the best news ever i mean jesus is alive my friend go to him go to him call upon his name and he will hear your voice thank you for listening today Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.